The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to You're Gonna Love Me, the podcast where we open the eyes, the ears, and the hearts of anyone who has judged or been judged. Well, hopefully. I'm your host, Katie Maloney. Greetings, guys and gals. Welcome back to a new episode of You're Gonna Love Me. I have a guest who I'm really excited to have on. I've been wanting to have him on for a really long time. He is a writer, an award-winning activist. He was on Forbes 30 Under 30 list, massively accomplished. And now he's officially a New York Times bestselling author of his new book, The Black Friend. Welcome, Frederick Joseph. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Katie. I really appreciate it. Congratulations. That has to be such a wild, accomplished feeling, becoming an instant New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, I mean, it feels good. And, you know, honestly, I I want everybody to know that, you know, people like yourself had a lot to do with that. So thank you. For those who don't know, Katie, you know, we sent you an early copy of the book. and, And not only did you share it, but you very much used your platform to amplify it in ways that that meant a lot. So so thank you so much. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I want to thank you for writing this book, actually, because I have really enjoy would be the word, but it's also been very educational and illuminating for someone like myself to read it. So thank you and to um, everyone else who contributed their voices and stories to it. I think it's going to change so many lives and I, I want people to read this. I think it's really important. So I'm more than happy to share it. And also I found you just on social media earlier this <laughs> year. And I feel like I've learned so much from you because of just the information that you put out there for people that are wanting to really work to be anti-racist. Yeah. So this morning I was, I was on your Instagram, I guess it was on your stories and you were posting about, it was like some screenshots of tweets from a year ago or over a year ago talking about wanting to write this book. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are now. Yeah. What was going on presently in your life or what, at what point were you like, I need to write this book? Like what sparked that? Yeah, for me, um, it was like one big moment that forced me to to like actually sit down and write the book. You know, for a long time, I wanted to write other things. I have like fantasy novels I want to write and all this other cool stuff. Hopefully I'll get to. But I was actually on the subway heading to the office um, one day and I, I sat on the train. I was like, I was wearing a suit that morning, drinking a coffee, listening to I don't even know um, what I was listening to, but... Not Dave Matthews Band. (laughs) Not Dave Matthews Band. Maybe John Mayer. (laughs) And I sat down next to this this white woman who was listening to music and whatnot. And when I sat down next to her, she actually took her purse, clutched it close to her, got up and moved her seat. And I wasn't surprised because, you know, where I live is I live in a high rise with my fiance and, and we're like one of the only black couples in the building. So we deal with that a lot. People don't want to ride the elevator with us. People, you know, ask um, if we live there, things like that. And it just gets tiring. So I remember tweeting out, I said, I'm going to write a book on how to be a decent white person from different people of color. Because I think oftentimes people think that racism and things like that are just like, oh, well, I don't say the N-word or I don't support Trump. 
and that means I'm not racist. I'm like, yeah, but it's a spectrum. There's so many more things than that. Absolutely. The fact that you wanted to write this for white people, it's pretty remarkable. But I just feel like as I'm reading it, because I I think we're about the same age. Mm -hmm. So as I'm reading it and you, and you talk a lot, like these stories that you're sharing are from your younger years, your teens and then school and like those kind of social situations. So I was kind of reflecting on like my view of the world and then also seeing the, the world through your eyes. So that's why I was just like, wow, I wish I had something like this back then, because even though, you know, I didn't ever use any kind of racial slurs that, you know, I was kind of living in that world of like, well, yeah, we're all just colorblind. Humans are humans. Don't be an asshole kind of thing. And, but not really fully understanding that I was not aware of anything. And I'm also from the whitest place on earth from (laughs) Utah. So, but I just feel like, yeah, those years being so formative and formidable at times, you know, that I think young people should really read this book. Do you see this becoming part of like school curriculums? Have you explored that option? Yeah. I mean, that's the hope, you know, and and getting the New York times um, definitely helps because it gives some more legitimacy to the book, but you know, that's the goal because, you know, I I say to people often, and my goal with this book was not to point fingers and shame people. I like legitimately, and I kind of use my social media like that too, right? Where I'm like having conversations, explaining things because I'm like, not everybody is you know, this overt white supremacist or anything, right? The same way, like I grew up in an era of a lot of homophobia, a lot of transphobia, a lot of misogyny, and and it was just ingrained in the culture, right? So I've had to unlearn that myself and be better. And I'm like, man, I wish that there was a book about that, which I'm actually working on right now, but I wish there was a book about that for young people so I could have been better much earlier than, you know, late twenties, thirties. Right. Right. And, and, and I hope that this book for young white people, you know, there's parts of it where I'm just, I'm funny. I'm being myself. Right. I'm just like, Hey, like, like you said, don't be an asshole. Basically I'm like, don't be an asshole. And here's how you can not be an asshole. And it's not so simple as you might think, but let's sit and talk about it. So I'm hoping that, you know, schools adopt it. Well, something I like to talk about on this podcast a lot is sort of the fact that we do all just inherently judge people and make assumptions about people, it becomes problematic when those judgments and assumptions are made or based off of someone's, you know, color, race, creed, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. It's fun until it gets to that point is my opinion. But you, you share these stories and and I know I want people to read the book, but one story that like stood out to me a lot was when you were in school and you were a very gifted student, you're very bright and you had a substitute teacher come in um, like halfway through the year or something and basically was defying the fact that you actually could get these kinds of test scores and these types of grades. And that's just me again, being a white chick, I've never had to think about something like that. And the fact that these are things that you were dealing with from such an early age on and that you still want to fight this good fight. Yeah. I mean, for me, because there's black kids, there's brown kids who are going to go through the same thing, right? And yeah. and if I can do something that helps alleviate that, then I want to. You know, it's I, I think a lot of people assume that you know non-white people start dealing with racism when we're you know in our teens or as adults, but it happens so early and it's so traumatic. Like in that story, I, I hope that people read the book, but you know, in that story specifically what ended up happening ultimately made me not want to be a good student. 
right? I was so traumatized and fearful of being ridiculed by my teacher that I, ch- I opted into being a poorer student so that I could survive. And I think oftentimes that's what just happens is we are traumatized in certain things. The same thing happens to women, right? Like in sex, like so traumatized in misogyny, patriarchy, so on and so forth, that women will do certain things just to avoid further trauma. I'm going to have to interrupt the show to talk about how much I love Cordo and Butter. As you know, they are our dogs and we are obsessed with them. I wish I could just have them as guests on the show every week. I think they'd kill it. I think they're hilarious. And I I definitely think Cordo has a lot going on behind his eyes. He's got very wise eyes, like the eyes of a great ape, but they can't talk. But I do feel like they can communicate with us telepathically. And Tom and I always know what they're saying. And they're saying, what's for dinner? Because we're hungry and don't even think about giving us a dry bowl of kibble. No way. They want nom nom. They want that fresh pet food that is restaurant quality grub. Yes, they're picky. (laughs) But Tom and I get it. And we love feeding our guys Nom Nom because as much as they enjoy eating it, we know they're getting the right amount of calories and nutrition. And we know this because Nom Nom has Dr. Smallberg as their board certified veterinarian nutritionist who has researched and formulated meals specifically for our dogs. We just had to give them a little information about our dogs and they took care of the rest and they oversee every last step of the cooking and packaging process right here in the U.S. to ensure the finest quality everything. And it's all the food that we would eat, honestly. It's chicken, fish, turkey, peas, carrots, a little spinach. So that makes us and our pups very happy. And it is so easy to sign up. You just give Nom Nom your dog's age, breed, weight, and any additional health info, and they will curate personalized meals that arrive fresh and perfectly proportioned. So we can't recommend enough switching to fresh pet food endorsed by Science, Taste Buds, and of course, Gordo and Butter themselves. And when you try Nom Nom today, you're going to get 50% off a two-week trial. So go to trynom.com slash loveme. That's T-R-Y-N-O-M dot com slash loveme for a 50% off two-week trial. I promise you and your little fur babies are going to be so, so, so happy. All right, back to the show. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all, but then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're gonna either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like, always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. What would be like your earliest memory of experiencing some kind of racism that was traumatizing to you? 
I think the the earliest memory of experiencing racism was actually racism that wasn't happening directly to me, but to a family member. I was with uh, my older cousin. And I must have been four or five years old, and the police stopped us. He had just bought a new car. Uh, I, I'll never forget this because he picked me and my mom up and was driving us around this new car, and the police stopped him in the car, pulled him out and threw him on the ground. I'm four years old and I'm crying. And my mother is like screaming at me to be quiet because she's afraid that me crying in the back, the police are just going to shoot me. And and we've seen that happen, right? With like people like Philando Castile and and other people who have been murdered by the police. And, And we've seen that it doesn't matter if you're young or not, right? Like if I was four or five years old, Tamir Rice was killed. Um, yeah, Yeah. as, as a child. So, you know, that's my earliest memory. And ever since then, I've been deathly afraid of the police. And I mean, at points, honestly, Katie, I was afraid to get new cars for a long time. I was like, oh, I don't, I want to drive an old beat up car. Even when I had the money to buy a new cars, I didn't want the police to think that I stole it. Again, an experience that my privilege has allowed me to never have to even think about learning about your experiences that you, that you talk about this book and other ones, even from going to music, because it's very true. And, um, who was it in the chapter? April or Naima, one of them. Oh, Naima. Yeah. So she was talking about so many of our music genres, whether it's, you know, gospel and country and soul and jazz with, you know, hip hop to electronic music are so rooted in, in your culture that playing music when you had your friends that were playing music and people not the only knowing pop music or it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I have beef about Dave Matthews band with you, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> because if you like John Mayer, how are you not going to like Dave Matthews? He had so many like hits. He's, he's hit such a hit. lyricist. If John Mayer is ever listening to your podcast, listen, John, you know, you've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I love you though, to be honest. <laughs> I, I do too. I often wonder what John Mayer's doing and I don't know why. <laughs> I've, I've literally just caught myself being like, I wonder if he's like at home or what. I don't know why. Just, just being John Mayer, like, he, like, I feel like he has like a guitar everywhere he walks in the house. He's just like in the shower with a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing that, you know, not just liking John Mayer or liking Star Wars, you know, that there's people just being surprised over and over in your life of the things that you're into just because you're black. That was one thing I, I, I didn't necessarily relate to in the book, just me individually, but I find to just be really frustrating. And I know it's like, obviously it's beyond frustrating for you to just not be able to like what you like and be an individual, Mm. but to be constantly put in a stereotype. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because even with like television, like funny enough, we were in Colorado and we were watching your show as a matter of fact, and, and we were just like talking about television and it's, it's funny because throughout the years um, with TV, you know, I make the point kind of in the book that I've seen Seventh Heaven. I've seen Boy Meets World. I can tell you Boy Meets World episodes like the back of my hand, right? EGIF, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and again, even like, like with a show like yours, in reverse oftentimes, right? Like a white person, you know, they can't necessarily name shows right now that are like, black cast fully right if i could talk about boy meets world i could push or like even like friends if i said oh like okay you've seen friends but have you ever seen girlfriends or living single or all these black shows and they're like oh well that's your culture i'm like yeah but 
our culture is in proximity to yours and you expect us to know yours, but you don't care about ours. And oftentimes ours is at the epicenter of a lot of the things you're already interested in anyway. Right. right. Or, or just the notion that only having to know what's mainstream or white mostly, um, without having to even be aware of what's happening in different genres of music and television. I mean, if you were growing up in a time we weren't and you didn't watch living single, what were you doing? Right. Like what were you, what were you actually doing? Do you even know TV? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't watch girlfriends. Cause I think maybe when it was on, it was probably just, I was maybe too young for, it. I don't know. I know. I, I think it is on Hulu. So I, I got to check that out. <laughs> but I, I mean, we watched the Cosby show and I remember we loved Martin. That was a big one for us. So, I mean, you were in Utah watching Martin, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We got, we have no culture there. That's wild to me. Like that is actually like, you know, I'd have to like do like a, a demographic test of like how many people in Utah were just randomly watching like shows like Martin, because in New York, you would think that more people would see these things. But I mean, I think also that you're just a lot better than a lot of people, quite frankly. To be so. Well, it's funny you should say that. No, um, <laughs> I want to take a little break. Let's just slow it down for a bit and drink some wine. I'm currently sipping on my new faved can wine, Bev, and I'm loving Bev for a number of reasons. The first being that it's a female founded and run business and I'm all about supporting women and I feel like we just know how to get shit done, but also make it epic. And that is exactly what these little cans are. Just epic, delicious, and only a hundred calories and three carbs per serving plus zero sugar. So I can properly get my drink on and know exactly what I'm consuming. And I will also add, they're like the perfect bath wine. I love a little Bev in the bath. I mean, who doesn't love a convenient glass of wine while you're unwinding and relaxing? Hello. And they have a Rosé Sauvignon Blanc and a Pinot Gris that I am particularly fond of. And I love that every can of Bev is packed with flavor. It's just the right amount of sweet and has a little bit of fizz. And right now they even have a limited edition extra fizzy white wine for the holidays called Glitz. My mom got this one and she's obsessed. And I just love sharing the wealth of wine. And I'm going to share some savings for y'all because we worked out a deal exclusively for all my listeners. You'll receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping. And I recommend trying their ladies night variety pack because then you get to taste all the delicious varietals that they have. So go to drinkbev.com slash love me or use code love me at checkout to redeem the deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-B-E-V dot com slash love me for 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping. All right, let's, let's just get back to the episode now. In Utah, it's just, it, it, there's a lot of Mormons there. It's like, you know, the, which comes with a lot of other things, but yeah, I mean, even growing up in Park City was, it was a resort city. And so we had a lot of people coming from all over the world and people that would come and work for seasonal stuff that were from other places. So I felt like that was my only time I got like a little taste of something else. Otherwise it was just a lot of green bean casserole, which is <laughs> delicious. I don't like, no, I, oh, God. You, he hates on <laughs> Fred in his book is hating on 
<laughs> you said it's oppressive. <laughs> so, so people, so people have asked me, so for everybody who hasn't read the book yet, hopefully you'll get the context when you read it. I was making a joke in the book about green bean casseroles. I find it absolutely horrible, but and people are like, have you tried it? I'm like, yes, I've tried it. I've tried it twice. I, I tried it when I finished the book because someone was like, Hey, I read the manuscript. I need, I need you to try it again. I tried it again. It's still not good. And maybe it's not good in comparison to the foods that I really like. Right. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, there's a lot of food that I haven't tried that you would probably be like, what the hell are you with? I'm not saying it's bad. I just have never tried it. I don't know. I, I think people really fuck up macaroni and cheese a lot. especially oh, yeah. What, yeah. So there's this place in, in LA called Blood Sows. It's a black owned barbecue restaurant. And let me tell you, their mac and cheese is the best I've ever had in my life. So, so everybody listen to this. I take that challenge. So the two best macaroni and cheeses are my mother's and my fiance. So Katie, when you, after COVID, when you're in New York, <laughs> I'm in LA, this is what we're doing. We're getting together and we're going to literally just bring you some, some mac and cheese. And, oh my and God. I want you to come back on the show and then be like, okay, I was wrong. It's actually <laughs> Fred's family. Perfect. So. Oh my God. I love that. Some other things. Cause obviously when I started following you. And I was feeling like I was just learning a lot through your eyes and through your posts and everything. I was like Google searching you. And I found out about the black Panther challenge where you, you had a GoFundMe that raised what, like over a million dollars to send 73,000 children worldwide to see the movie. What made you want to do it? I mean, I think it's amazing, but aside from that. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting because you know, we, we kind of talked about like how a lot of the mainstream culture in America is typically centered around whiteness. Right. And because of that, like when you look at superheroes, like when we were growing up, even like going into Marvel currently, you have Captain America and Iron Man and Batman, you know, you're, you have like a plethora of of, white dudes, white guys. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. White (laughs) guys who can do anything. They're amazing. Right. So I was sitting one night in my apartment, my little brother was over for those who don't know, Um, My little brother will be nine in a few weeks. Um, My mother had me very early, him very late. Um, You know, it's about a 20-something year age gap. Um, But anyway, he's in my apartment, and the commercial for Black Panther came on before it had ever came out, and his eyes lit up. And he's like, like, I want to see that. And I said, why do you want to see that so bad? He's like, because because he has the same color skin as me, and, and it looks cool. And like, I like went to the room and like broke down in tears, right? Because... I didn't get that experience as a kid. Like I never had that. You know, we had like movies that would come out. Like I think certain things, like even like with Denzel, Denzel's one of the greatest actors of our time. His Oscar is for playing a crooked cop. Right. And I never had, you know, this world like Black Panther that's in Africa and all these women are the smartest people in the world and they have all this money. You know, it was just phenomenal. So I said, okay, I'm going to take a few kids to see the movie. And my mother actually challenged me. She's like, well, you know, you can take a few kids or you can take like as many kids as possible. I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I don't know, figure it out. So, so you know, I um, I said, okay, well, I'll make a GoFundMe, and I've ne- I had never made one before, so I made it, and I was begging celebrities and influencers that I had at the time, maybe like four hundred followers on like Instagram and Twitter, um, and I was just begging people, you know, like, hey, can you share this? Can you share this? I really want to make this happen for these kids. I actually put 
$5,000 of my own money into it. And I was like, please, can you all just help? And I went to sleep one night and it was raising a little bit of money. I went to sleep one night, I woke up and I had like 40 text messages and I'm like, what's going on? And they were like, you're on CNN, you're on CNN, Chelsea Clinton <laughs> and a bunch of celebrities have been sharing your thing. I'm like, what? They're like, you raised like $37,000. I was like, what? Wow. So yeah. And it blew up from there. I went on like the Ellen show and then it was like over from that moment. I watched the clip of you on the Ellen show. Cause you were on when Chadwick was on. Yeah. And that was like, it was so, yeah. it was really sweet, but like you honestly have such a huge heart. You also help people with, you know, rent and you raise money for people that need help with groceries and you just want to like, just give back to your community. And I think that's so amazing. I mean, I wish I had more of that in me, not that I couldn't, but sometimes it's, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's, (laughs) (laughs) it is a lot, but I'm so like inspired by you. So I think if anyone's going to get me to take the next step, it would most likely going to be you. I appreciate that. I mean, you, if, if, again, if I can say for your audience, you know, you've been phenomenal, you know, and, and just like, as a, you know, in the book, I write about not being allies and being accomplices, right? Like allies are people who post black squares and that's it. Right. It's like, Oh, this is over. I did my thing, but you've really stepped up, especially in relation to the things I've been working on of late. And like this book, like you have a million plus followers, you have a huge audience, huge people who follow you. And you've been like really using that to help people become more anti-racist by, you know, learning certain things and reading this book and, and, and that you're doing the work, Katie. So I, I'm really appreciative. It's my responsibility. It's every, it's all of our responsibilities to do it. And I, you know, and I don't want people to have this attitude because I think there is kind of, and I would love to know what you're perspective is on it because there is a lot of people waking up. There are a lot of people that are trying to become more woke, but do you feel like there are people that are, it's like, it's more like wokeness, not wokeness. Yeah. I I feel like it's kind of like a lot of people are very, it's a fad for a lot of people, right? Like, and that's an issue because not even just with, again, not just with racism, but with everything, like, you know, everybody's aligned with the LGBTQ community, um, right now, as long as it doesn't like interrupt what they care about. Right. Or what they want to do. Um, you know, it's like, if I tell people like, Hey, I am aligned with trying to do what I can to support women. That means actually doing stuff, not just like putting up a picture on Instagram, like, Oh, go women, like smash the patriarchy. Uh, well, Fred, you're a part of the patriarchy realistically. So how are you creating space? How are you helping women? You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I, and I think some people, they, they want to, and they don't know where to start. And it can just start with reading a book, read this book on how to be a better white person. I mean, I, I'm sharing as along the way that I'm learning, like I was not aware of the things I am now, but I've been actively pursuing answers to questions that I've had reading your book and kind of going back into like my history and unlearning the lessons and things that I was just more accustomed to growing up and realizing that that is wrong and they are rooted in white supremacy and racism. It's not to place blame on anyone else, but you know, myself at the end of the day, but you know, our parents grew up in the days where there was still segregation. And, and so even though they were not subscribing to blatant racism and they were all for like that ending and they, you know, would be against any kind of racism, they didn't know anything about being anti-racist. And that wasn't something that we ever learned about in school. Those, they were not conversations we were having. So I just feel like I've just been 
asleep. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, we have to realize that all of us are conditioned in it, right? Like, you know, I saw someone recently, a black guy who said, you know, um, we don't have a white black problem. Um, we only have a proximity problem. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not true at all. And he's, you know, he's married to a white woman. So like in his world, he's like, well, I have money and there's the racism doesn't, doesn't exist. I'm like, you're blind to, to, to the fact that racism does exist because in your little bubble, people are not experiencing that, but you're negating the actual world around you. So it's, it's unlearning and unpacking that we all need to do in our various bubbles that we've lived in. Yeah. And seeing the world through other people's eyes and trying to understand their experiences is never going to be the, the same as living it. But again, your book has been extremely eye-opening just to or to read and to learn the things that you've been through. I mean, even as simple as just like the apprehension of going over to white people's house, even if they were friendly or thinking they were doing their best or being surprised that a white guy showed up to hang out with your friends, expecting him to be black, but then being surprised that he wasn't like a typical white person that you've experienced or encountered. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's such a nuanced experience um, being anybody, right? Like, you know, being Katie Maloney and being Frederick Joseph is, are their own nuanced experiences being a white woman versus being a white man, being a black man versus being a black woman, so on and so forth are these nuanced things. And, you know, throughout the book, I try to talk about my experience, but that's also why I wanted to include other voices, right? And other people are talking about their perspective. And I thought, and that was important to me because I think we get lost in an echo chamber oftentimes of like, one person said one thing and that's what I'm taking as the end all be all, even if it's like our parents, like, you know, my mom is a phenomenal woman, right? Absolute brilliant woman. But I grew up, she'd be like, Oh, well, if you don't hit him back, you're soft. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Problematic. Right. Like now in my thirties, I'm like, Ooh, deeply problematic. But that's what we grew up with. Or people grew up with parents who were like, Hey, I don't have a problem with like black people just don't bring them home as your date, right? Like, and that's a real thing. So there's a lot of unpacking, unlearning all of us are doing that we didn't even know we were conditioned in. Um, and it's super nuanced once again. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a lot for, for people to take on. It doesn't mean it should deter them away from doing it, but you can go one day at a time because it's a journey. It's not just like a, a quick little like, Oop, got it you know, back to business, it's definitely is going to be a lived experience that we have to go through. And I just feel like you, the way you also handle trolls, <laughs> I admire it because it's sometimes you're just like, Hey, fuck you, buddy. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, you just kind of call them out and put them right in their place. And you're not shy about letting everyone know, because I think showing that you're not going to ignore it, I don't see it as like a challenge. Do you feel like it challenges people or no? I I don't share every single thing, but I share a a lot of the trolling and and death threats sometimes too that I get because I think it gives context to experience, right? And And I try to do that often is show my followers and friends and people like that what happens to not just me, but other people who are doing the work, right? The same way I think that honestly... Women, you know, when, when people say things to them, like, you know, send them dick pics online and stuff like that, share them, share them, point them out and show exactly how disgusting these people are and what you're going through. Because, you know, that inherently, it gives context for somebody like myself to be like, you know, 
I don't really always understand what women are actually going through, right? Like no one's sending me dick pics and, and, and horrible things like that. Listen, um, I don't get dick pics either. Good, good, good. You're, you're fierce in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. I don't think anybody's going to try you. It's, it's really good to see. My friends would sit in there and tell me like, you're scary. I'm like, good. That's good. Let's keep it that way. I just am a no bullshit person. But the things that I've read that people say, I'm just like, holy shit. Like we're still doing that. People are still using the N word. I guess so. Like this is really disgusting and it's tragic. Like, do you have like practices for yourself that like you can look at that and not let it affect you? Because I know for me, I'll see stuff and eventually it's going to, it's going to creep into my psyche. I'm only human. And so what kind of practices do you use to like, not let that negativity affect you? Yeah. I mean, for me, I try to remember that the most important people are the people who love me. Right. And the only time that I let it really get to me is if it's like a death threat, because that not only affects me personally, but you know, it affects the people around me in that, you know, I live with my fiance and, and, you know, oftentimes I have the children in my family at my house and stuff like that, you know, so those I don't take um, lightly, but, you know, people hurt people, hurt people, as they say, you know, so when people are coming online with their hundred followers and attacking people who are doing good in the world, I'm just like, something is really gross and rotten inside of you. And I don't have that. Right. I, I go put on some music and breathe. I breathe. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jazz and soft rock, soft rock guy. So I put on some like, so <laughs> I put on something smooth. Do you like Sade? I love Sade. I love Sade too. That's like my, cause I sometimes will get anxiety when I fly. So that's like my go-to like anti-anxiety music. And I do know who John Coltrane is because nice. that's another thing Fred talks about in his book when he talks about music is John Coltrane mm. only because I play saxophone and jazz band. So, oh, yeah. Do you still play? I have a saxophone. I can play horribly. I want to take lessons again because I feel like it's something I'm I'm missing in my life. So I play um, a few instruments. So now, really, so, yeah, I play um, uh, trumpet, guitar, piano, and I and I can play drums. Oh, okay. Um, a few instruments. <laughs> you mean all of them? Okay. <laughs> so, so all right. So that's so everyone's listening. Um, what we're gonna do is when Katie and I get together for mac and cheese, um, we're also gonna make um, a jazz album now. Katie on sax and me on everything else and everything else. Perfect. Mac and cheese and jazz. I'm mac so down for that. Jazz. Yep. So, what's gonna be next? Are you you're gonna work on another book? I've started working on a third book, um, kind of skipping over to second because the second I'm figuring out with my agent right now, I mean, I'll just be honest and transparent with, um, your listeners. So, you know, a lot of people who are non-white and, and I think this happens to women too. We don't get the opportunities to like creatively do things that other people get. Right. Like, so books come out all the time that are just complete nonsense. And what my agent and I have been pitching is a book similar to the black friend to a certain extent, but focused on patriarchy, toxic masculinity and things like that. Cause I think it's important that, you know, a man step into the arena also and say, look, we're getting it wrong guys, right? Like we're getting it wrong. And something also to help women say like, okay, when this is happening, how do I identify certain things from a man's perspective of like what men are doing? Right. So it's like, you know, growing up, I'll be honest, like I was probably a bit of a womanizer when I was younger. And some of that had to do with the fact that I dealt with traumas, um, sexual traumas as a kid, 
right? And some of that I want to talk about because that happens oftentimes. And like most publishers are like, oh my God, the writing is phenomenal. We love it, but nobody's going to buy it. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean nobody's going to buy it? It's like such an important book. Of course people will buy it. So we're, we're working on the, figuring out who's going to buy that right now. I mean, I would buy it and hopefully men buy it. Well, the same way it's like the black friend, you wrote it for white people. I mean, obviously there's, it's a great book and I think everyone could enjoy it, you know, white on white, whatever, but women would love that book and men would need to read that book. So I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess it's just like, how do you make sure that men can put their, you know, big old penises away and, (laughs) and, and learn some shit about what's going on. Right. I'm excited for that. What else is going on? I'm really interested in, in something that I saw in the show. So I, I just, <laughs> how do you feel in spaces oftentimes, you know, I mean, it's about the show, but it's more so about you and it's whatever. So how do you feel in spaces oftentimes as being kind of like the voice of like progressivism? Like you are primarily on the show, like the progressive voice. So like, how do, how do you feel with that? I mean, I don't think it was like, Hey, I want to do this. Or, you know, I think it was just that search situation opportunities have presented themselves. And I, cause I am a no bullshit person mm. and I can't stand when people try to bullshit me. And I, and I really have a hard time with holding back and telling them that, you know, my criteria is pretty, it's pretty easy to be in my company. It's like, don't bullshit me and don't lie to me. And so I think it just was naturally who I am to speak out on what's right, what's wrong, how people are fucking up along the way. And just, I I don't know. I just, I feel like to a fault, I can be honest. And sometimes, yeah, my, my tone and delivery is totally off, but it's just because I can't stand it that much. Yeah. I mean, you, (laughs) I don't watch a lot of television, but I got hooked like basically because of you. Like, like, uh, (laughs) I I think I told you that one of, one of the people in the book, actually, my friend Daniela was like, Oh, I think you would really like Katie on the show. And I, and this is actually before you followed me. I was like, ah, sure. Whatever. And I I watched like, Oh yeah, she's cool. You know, because I, I love that personality type. And the reason I asked is because I think that more, I, I don't know, whether your, your audience necessarily understands how important what you do is and how it's important that they do it in their own lives as well. I don't know that they do now, but I'm hoping that they will. And if I can be in any assistance in doing so, then I'm going to do it and be happy to do it every step of the way. But I just think some people unfortunately aren't ready to hear certain things, but Mm -hmm. you got to keep talking about it. And so I hope that people understand that it's like, I'm not trying to jump on a bandwagon here and and make it like a fad or make it a thing, but like, this is for real and you need to like, just shut up and listen, basically. I don't know. But that's exactly it though, Katie. Like you, you put it so well, actually, it's just like, in certain circles, all of us need to shut up and listen, right? So it's like, okay, if you're white and you're like learning about anti-racism, shut up and listen. If you're a man and you're learning about feminism and sexism, so on and so forth, shut up and listen. If you're, if you are a heterosexual person and you're learning about a cisgender heterosexual person, learning about the trans and and gay community, shut up and listen. Everybody just needs to learn when to shut up. Right. (laughs) And and I think... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that, that's that that should be like um we, we should put that on like hats. Everybody just learn when to shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's your time to shut up. Yeah. You can you can trademark that along with the 
was it the Freddie law? Is that what you want to call it? Yep. <laughs> Freddie Murphy law. Freddie um, Murphy law. Yep. I'm got, I just got to do what I got to do. You're the, you're the first person that's presented it to me in that kind of way. So I have, I haven't really like had time to sit and like actually think through that and process it because I don't think in the moment I was like being like, Hey, I'm going to get on my little soapbox right now. It was just like, yo, this ain't right. I just feel like I got to say something. So that's why I appreciate it so much because you can just tell not just on the show, but I think even in your social and just other things that you've done, you're a pretty authentic person, you know? And, and when people are authentic, it, it, it breeds other people like it, right? Like sometimes I like, we'll go on your page and see how people comment under the things you post and you're changing people, right? Like you're actually changing people and people are like growing like, Oh, well, cause people respect you and love you. So it's like, they're trying to go on a journey with you. And I think that more white people need to like take the time to bring people on journeys with them as well. Yeah. I think, and also like really emphasizing the value and educating yourselves and how much mm-hmm. you grow as a person. Like if you're going to read Glennon Doyle, then you better be reading the black friend as well. Like you better, like you, you better be working on yourself as a, as a whole, not just like yourself spiritually, but also your place in society and how you contribute to the world around you and whether we see change or not. So hopefully as I share what I'm going through with people that they are like, I could do this too. <laughs> I mean, that's my hope for all of us, right? Like as I'm, as I'm going through the things I'm going through, like, that's why, again, I want to write the second book because I'm like, like, I don't know about you, but like where I grew up, people were like really homophobic. Like, I mean, people who are younger than us, like in their like early twenties and teens now listening, I don't think that they fully will ever grasp how wild. Like, if you watch old movies, like just old rom coms and stuff, like, so since I watch them now, it's like, oh, ooh, they said that, you know, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was just, yeah. They used it, to it throw was, around the F word uh-huh. a lot, a oh, lot in the yeah. derogatory sense, too. And we were just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, no. I mean, like so homophobia in the nineties was like just breathing air and it's just so disgusting. And, and all of us need to be unpacking that, unlearning that, I, you know, like I love rom-coms. I don't know if people know that about me, but I love rom-coms. And I was watching one recently and they said the F word and I counted it 10 times in the movie. Oh my God. Which one was it? Oh my I don't, God. I don't but, remember. Especially like the teen comedy rom-coms back in the day like it was because the bullying was like really kind of like that yeah back then like now it's like bullying looks very different and not saying it's not hugely problematic and really severe and impactful on people's lives but i mean they just got away with it and you were just told like oh suck it up or get a backbone or just you know stand up for yourself it was the wild, wild west <laughs> yeah, in the like, cafeteria. Yeah, it really yeah, was. Exactly. <laughs> it really, really was. You know, and I think about it all the time, even in terms of, um, and I, you know, in, in terms of everything, like I'm, that's why I'm happy this generation is hopefully growing and hopefully getting it better than us because it was, it was bad. But anyway, <laughs> if we don't get it right before then our kids will. Yeah. But we yeah. got to We got to make sure that happens. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. I'm so excited to read your next two books. 
I think it's going to change a lot of lives. And I would highly suggest all of you get a copy of the black friend, especially if you're a teacher, I challenge teachers to put this shit in their curriculum Mm -hmm. and, and just see how quickly things turn around because I know I would have really loved to have this back then, but happy to have it now. Besides getting the, the black friend on Amazon and anywhere else you can find books, but where can they find you on social media? Twitter and Instagram um, at Fred T. Joseph and Katie. I, again, I appreciate this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your voice. Um, I can't wait for our jazz album and for our, <laughs> um, our mac and cheese night. So. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could even cover some Dave Matthews songs. This is a discussion we're going to have to have offline. All right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And everyone enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Follow along on social at Music Kills Kate and tune in next week for an all new episode. 